Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to episode 33 of the Strength Ratio podcast. Today we have a great guest in Jake Reed. He is another sports performance consultant from Renaissance Periodization. He got his PhD from ETSU and is a current professor at the University of Northern Iowa. In this episode, we have some great talks about athlete monitoring and simple ways to track performance and really understanding the basics of tracking and monitoring and how to apply those to your daily training. Um, again, we had some little difficulty in our end with the uh, audio. We have now figured out that it is our mic and have a new one on the way. Everything that we say is still understandable, although it sounds a little muffled at times. However, Jacob's audio came in very clearly, so we're really happy about that. So again, thanks for bearing with us. We are trying our hardest to get this audio deal uh, down and fixed, and Hopefully, you know, as we keep going, things will get better and better here. And again, let us know if you guys have any questions or feedback. We'd love to hear from the audience. Love to hear any guests that you guys might suggest. And if you could go ahead and leave a review for us and maybe share the podcast as well, that would be great. Anything helps. So enjoy the show. Here we go. Hello and welcome. Welcome to episode... I just announced today. It's really good. I feel like you did this on purpose. It's, it's, no, it's actually not on purpose because I'm like, I won't, I'm eager to introduce our guest and then I just pick up the, the, the number. Episode 33. 32. 33. 30. There you go. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> Welcome to episode 33 of the Strength Ratio Podcast. We have a guest today who we likely haven't heard of before because he's not on Instagram. He is on Twitter and has made a handful of tweets, but I don't know if he's super active. There. And when we've asked him about his social media presence, he's humbly said that he's basically pretty busy still learning all the things he doesn't know. So that's uh, super uh, actually inspiring and encouraging to hear from someone who already has a PhD in sports performance. Uh, I think if you have heard, uh, I guess without further ado, I'll introduce Jacob Reed. And Jacob, I don't know if you heard our podcast with James, but we're not far from where you got your PhD at ETSU. We're, we're in Asheville, just up the road. Oh, uh, yeah. Are you still on the East Coast, or are you out with him on the West Coast? No, I'm actually in Iowa right now, um, but I am definitely familiar with um, the Asheville area. James and I actually went on a few hikes um, in the mountains out there a few times and had some fun in Asheville. So definitely love the area and um, very familiar with it. So, Jacob, I actually went to school at uh, University of Iowa in Iowa City, so I, I know that area pretty well. Really? <laughs> yeah, I'm at the University of Northern Iowa now. I'm actually from Iowa. Um, okay, awesome. Yeah. So, Jacob, you got your PhD in sports performance. Uh, if you wouldn't mind talking a little bit more about within sports performance, what specifically you focused on most and, and what you're most passionate about uh, in your research and in your work with your training and nutrition clients through, uh, again, another Renaissance periodization uh, consultant. Absolutely. Um, so with uh, the sports performance degree, my primary focus was on athlete monitoring. Um, it was uh, kind of a new, um, it wasn't new really, but it was uh, at East Tennessee State. We uh, learned about the process of actually quantitatively um, assessing athletes over time um, and then using that to enhance the training process. 
Uh, and then I was fortunate enough to have class and learn from a professor by the name of Dr. Bill Sands, uh, who added an additional layer in the forms of some subjective monitoring and then ways to uh, analyze the data so that way we we're confident in making decisions and not just going on potentially spurious results. Um, and so really, that's kind of where my passion came from, is uh, trying to measure the cause and effect, um, especially when I'm working with athletes. And so I actually I did spend some time with Texas a and football as an assistant sports scientist um, using GPS technology. Uh, and that was part of my job was uh, managing the data and helping get it into an interpretable manner. And really, at the end of the day, um, what I want to do is take this this huge sum of information that we're getting on a daily basis and synthesizing it down to something that is simple. Because coaches don't need to sit and look at an 80-page report. Uh, that's actually something that I heard from uh, an NFL uh, data analyst. They would give the coach an 80-page report. Um, that's not helpful to a coach. That's time out of their day doing things that would otherwise be important. Um, so my real passion is uh, helping to educate the coach, helping to educate the athlete on what we're seeing and what we can do to actually help elicit positive change if we even need to. Uh, and whether that's from um, just simple education um, or going as far as needing to find a specialist in the field, whether it be psychological, physiological, strength, conditioning, nutritional, it really doesn't matter. Um, it's about identifying those needs. Um, and I know you guys have discussed uh, on previous podcasts, the needs analysis. Um, and that's, that's, that's a part of it. it the, the needs, you know, an, an individual that can't, uh, doesn't sleep well at night, or they're getting to bed too late, or maybe they're having a hard time going to sleep. Um, unless they're telling you it right off the bat, this kind of monitoring that we do can actually help to find that out. Um, and then from there, we can help the individual um, address that potential issue. Um, and that's what I do when I'm, I'm working with my team. So we did it at Texas A&M. Uh, I do it here at the University of Northern Iowa, where I work with the volleyball and wrestling teams, um, not using GPS technology, but just using other simple monitoring tools um, to help educate the coaches. Uh, and when I'm working with my RP clients, it's really no different. Um, the monitoring is to a lesser degree, but at the end of the day, it is about the education. And what simple things can we do to have large magnitudes of effect? Um, and, and really, it does come down to, well, the sleep and nutrition and get those two things right and proper load management. Guess what? You're, you're pretty much answering like 90% of the problem, but it takes a lot to get that fixed and to do it consistently. And that's kind of where I find my joy and kind of my passion um, is helping people along that process, um, whether if it's my RP clients or if it's athletes, doesn't really matter. Um, it's getting the basics right and then, you know, consistently and then moving on from there. Yeah, I think that I mean, we totally agree. It's the basics that the basics because they're the foundation, they're going to give you your greatest results. But they are, it seems, the hardest for people to stay consistent with. So it seems that people maybe supplement uh, their recovery with things that are purchasable or perhaps uh, fleeting because it's on the market and it's growing in popularity. Or supplement that isn't well-researched. But within that 
tracking outside of, or perhaps including food and uh, sleep, when I think of that myself in terms of athlete tracking, in, at least in North Carolina, because that's where our company is rooted, we can't make diet plans. We can talk about nutrition, but we're not actually looking at like, our people following nutrition plan that we're writing because legally we can't and more we uh that's not what we do right but when i think of that type of data i think of like okay, my own personal uh, fitness logging i think of maybe like the steps that i get on uh this fitbit tracker because it helps me uh know that my uh, non-exercise activity levels are staying even or it even gives a little bit of feedback on sleep are we talking about these kind of measurements that people might know about or are we talking more about other advanced techniques that might not be available to the everyday athlete outside of these more like uh, professional uh, settings or outside of the research? No, that's a, that's a fantastic question. Um, it actually kind of alludes to another passion of mine. Um, I am a firm believer in keep, keeping things as simple and as free as possible. Um, and quite honestly, my favorite tool is session RPE. So the rating of zero to 10 with five being hard, 10 being maximal, zero sleep. Rate each session. How hard was it based on that scale? There's more obviously um, uh, notations in the middle, but just rate the session and then take that value and multiply it by however long it was. Uh, and if you do that day in and day out, it actually gives you a global quantification of the total training volume. Um, so if you're taking a, talking about an individual who's, who is running and is uh, maybe cycling and swimming and lifting, you, you can't really track. You can track sets in the weight room, and then you're tracking miles and then maybe yards, and uh, miles running and then yards in the pool. Well, you really can't stack that and observe it and say, actually, how much did they do on the day? And that's kind of where the session RPE has its greatest power is that it allows for this global quantification. If you do it over time, you start to see the ebb and the flow of training, and then you can actually start planning using that, um, at least to a greater detail. Okay, how hard do we want practices to be? How hard do I want to train? Where is my degree of emphasis um, based on my own history and um, what, kind of where I want to be? Um, so Session RPE is really my, my favorite tool for that, and that's what, even at Texas A&M, when we had, the most expensive GPS technology you could have available, we still did session RPE as a backup because sometimes technology fails and sometimes technology just doesn't, it doesn't work. It doesn't tell us what we want to tell us, but the session RPE is always there. We can always get it. Um, and then on top of that, I, uh, if, if technology starts to become incorporated, uh, I prefer to use heart rate information um, along with the session RPE because the session RPE gives us kind of an idea of how, how hard it was, so like an internal load, and then also an external with that time component. And so you get this kind of idea of how the athlete is feeling based on what they did. Whereas the heart rate tells us totally how the body responded to that training stimulus during the training stimulus, if you use something like a heart rate load, which is when we, uh, some technology uh, will take the heart rate and band it out and say five bands. Um, based on a heart rate max percentage. And um, there's some literature out there to suggest that if we take that and apply a quantifier to it, so let's just say they spend 10 minutes in zone um, in 90% of their maximum heart rate, um, we would take that value multiplied by five, 
Whereas anything that's 50% or below, we would say multiply that time by one. Well, you sum the whole thing, you get total work. That value also adds another layer of, okay, how did that the body perceive a given load? And that's when you can start applying distances, um, weights even if you want to do it, anything along those lines. Um, and then going the next step, it's um, so that's kind of the, the physiological uh, stuff um, are some psychological metrics, um, things like super basic questionnaires asking about mood status. Are you feeling sick? How'd you sleep? Um, and actually, how'd you sleep is the wrong question. Uh, the better question is insomnia. So your inability to fall and stay asleep um, kind of gives a better idea. How long did you sleep? Um, did you follow your nutrition plan at all? Um, resting heart rate is another one that you can get from trackers, actually, um, from basic trackers, even from just doing palpating it yourself. That tells us a lot. Um, and then body weight. So really, the combination of body weight, heart rate, including resting and then actual training, um, session RPE, and then just basic kind of lifestyle question questions uh, provides a picture that is free for the most part and tells tells us a ton of the story so much that it's enough to be able to answer the questions that we have and then potentially develop some new ones um, so that way we are working towards something that's attainable and it's stuff that any team any individual can do without buying a 500 dollars tracking watch or something along those lines um, so it's totally attainable. Uh, you just kind of got to look in the right spots um, to find that, that almost how uh, how to do it. But it, it is out there. So my, my question is, if there, you know, in, when you go shopping in the iTunes store, like the apps and for songs, or like I think actually just apps, they say like top paid and top free. So can you take us through the top paid trackers and the top free trackers, in your opinion? Uh, because I imagine that there are some that you have to pay for that uh, might be super, super valuable, but it might not be required for everyone's daily purposes based on their goals. Like let's just say if they were looking to um, get generally more it over time, like add some muscle mass, become more enduring. But uh, is because I know it's a hard question, but can you think of as I've maybe given you hopefully some time to think about top paid, top three? What would be your your ranking if you just put like a few in each chart? Yeah, I, I love that analogy. That is fantastic. Um, so the top paid app uh, would hands down without about be some sort of heart rate tracker. Um, something that you can, uh, that provides the capacity to get, uh, say, a sleeping, resting heart rate, uh, as well as heart rate in, uh, in session. Um, I know, um, uh, I don't know if you're looking for certain companies potentially, like actual pieces of technology. Say one more time. Uh, are you actually looking for like brand names, that kind of thing as well? Actually, no, if, if you wouldn't mind, because I've seen an infographic where people look at like, uh, where the Fitbit compares to, like, uh, say, the Apple Watch right. compares to the Polar. So, yeah, I, I, I guess the more information, the better. 
For sure. Totally. Um, uh, I would absolutely say that if you're going to go down the route of looking at heart rate pull, there is definitely the way to go. No doubt in my mind, that's literally all they do and they're very good at it and they've been doing it a very long time. Um, they also provide the, at least the capacity in their team system. Um, I believe last time I looked, it actually wasn't unrealistically expensive for, I mean, okay, here's how expensive it is. There's a local high school basketball team that has 11 units. And they use them and I help them out with the tracking of it. Um, so that, that's essentially how expensive this is. And it's not like it's a big time. They're good. Don't get me wrong, but it's not like some a team that's getting a ton of money. They could afford it and it work and it works. Um, so polar is definitely uh, the place to go for that. Um, next down the line, I would say, um, Garmin provides some very effective heart rate monitoring in terms of um, especially like resting uh, data. Um, uh, but they also have watches that have the capacity to do GPS. So people that are going out and looking to do, to rock, to run, to swim, to bike, um, that piece of technology, it's there. Uh, and it can be very beneficial for that. Whereas the polar doesn't have that GPS technology, at least I don't believe they do. And if they do, it's not going to be out. It's, it's not going to be near the level that Garmin provides. Um, and then, you know, going down the line, uh, Fitbit, um, it's old data, but their, their heart rate monitor wasn't great. Um, it actually didn't show great reliability and I'm sure they've changed that in time, but, um, until I see the, the data to support it, um, I'm going to go with the, the Garmin and the Polar for that heart rate monitoring stuff for the free apps anyway. Um, if you go to, so that's like kind of the top paid um, heart rate. The top free heart rate is going to be very simple um, resting heart rate. So say taking your heart rate for 30 seconds in the morning, just laying in bed once you've woken up, kind of wake up, kind of let yourself calm down a little bit for a couple minutes and then retake your resting heart rate and document it in some way in Excel or something along those lines. Uh, and what you'll see is that over time, resting heart rate is going to have an ebb and a flow to it uh, if you do it at a resting state, truly resting state consistently. And it's going to increase with things like sickness, uh, potentially signs. It's a sign of overreaching. Um, functional or non-functional doesn't really matter, but it's a sign that your body is having to work harder to fix itself. Um, and it can also be a sign of positive uh, aerobic adaptation as well. If we see the heart rate is decreasing over time, and it should be, you know, there's always context to that kind of thing. Um, but that's really the only appropriate place to get a, a free heart rate. Um, if I were to go into GPS tracking technology, if it was an individual Garmin, in my opinion, is they, they've been doing it forever. Um, and I, I just place a lot of trust in their technology, not necessarily based on research, but my own personal experience and just their, their longevity. Uh, but if you want to get into team sports, uh, catapult technology is highly validated and reliable um, their little devices that athletes wear in the back um, and almost like a sports bra um, at Texas A&M we called it a bro uh, using a Seinfeld yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, it provides very very reliable and valid um, GPS data uh, so we're looking at things like total distance traveled distance traveled at certain speeds but it also goes so far as to have heart rate tracking uh, cap capabilities um, with polar heart rate monitors actually um, 
as well as change of directions left and right and jumping and accelerations and decelerations. And it's a very fancy, uh, expensive um, use, but potentially useful piece of equipment if applied correctly. Um, there really is no top free GPS, um, but, <coughs> excuse me, um, really the, the GPS technology and all of those metrics are um, their, their volume. That's really what it comes down to is the total amount of work done. Um, and so if you're looking at the total amount of work, so if this, this category will call that, so the top paid would be something like a, a Garmin watch or say catapult technology. Um, the free would be a session RPE uh, where you can just track how much work you did um, and easily over time. Um, and so I guess the, the next category would be in the psychological area. And I honestly am not aware of anywhere that you would find top paid. Um, every questionnaire I've used has been based on the literature and then my own um, experiences and talking with professionals. And we just make free ones. Like they take less than a minute to do. Um, individuals like Stu Cormick. Uh, Dr. Stu Cormick, I'm sorry, and then uh, Dr. Bill Sands as well. Um, uh, and then, oh, who is uh, the name? Um, you know, Dr. Anna Saw out of Australia. Fantastic people to research if you're looking into uh, questionnaires, especially free ones. Um, it's it's great information, and it's, it's out there. And it doesn't take much to create a questionnaire that's, like, it's free. You can use a Google form easily. That's the top free. A Google form to create a question, a web-based questionnaire that you can send to somebody's phone and they can answer on a daily basis if, if you want to go daily. So I think that that would be my kind of top paid and free uh, ways to measure at least the um, sum of the cause and effect. Because um, that's kind of what we're really out there to do is to measure the cause and effect. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, one, one question I had, Jacob, with all of this data that we're collecting, have you found, and I believe I read this correctly, that you actually did your dissertation on this, uh, like the perceptions that this uh, presenting this data can have uh, on athletes, either positively or negatively. Like, I would assume maybe seeing that heart rate's going down, we're doing an endurance program, might have a positive effect because the athlete would see what they're doing is working. But also, sometimes have you found that having too much data or, or presenting the wrong data to an athlete can actually negatively affect their performance? Oh my gosh, yes. Um, 100%. 100%. Um, it's, it's a real... Uh, it, people have to be very careful with data. Um, you know, For instance, with my time working with the UNI volleyball team, I've been working with them since the spring of 2017. Um, and so we're going on three-ish semesters or so right now. Um, I've given them one piece of feedback that had three bullet points and one chart. That was it. I haven't even talked to the athletes about the data. Now, granted, you do need to talk to them and show them that you're, they're not just lab rats for you to show that you truly do care about them because um, that's incredibly important. But you also don't want to inundate them with too much. And um, Dr. Andy Galpin actually has a book called Unplugged. I haven't read it, but I heard him speak about it in a podcast once um, about how we're we should try to step away from this a little bit and just rely on this feeling and rely on the, the art of coaching. Like, cause eventually, you know, we're my, honestly, my hope is that I research myself out of a job that machine learning just takes over and I don't have to think about it. And I can just go back to being 
using that art. Um, because as soon as we start telling people, oh, you work too, this is how hard you work today. Oh, it was much harder than before. You know, what's going on? Then they start thinking about things going on and potentially um, changing how they, in a negative manner, how they approach their their life and performance um, to the point where they're actually trying to manipulate the data then actually get better, uh, which is not at all what we want. You know, when um, uh, a certain HRV uh, piece of technology came out, it was literally just trying to keep people in the yellow if you want to use the red, yellow, green scale. Like that, that's really what it was doing. It's like, oh, you're training hard. You better back off. Oh, you're not ready to perform. You better back off. And people would see that on a daily basis. Like, oh, I'm, I'm terrible, even though I feel amazing. Or, and everybody's been there where they start a session and you're like, I feel like crap. And then all of a sudden this turns into PRs left and right. And it's just, it's just amazing. It's like, we can't, you can't rely on it to that degree. Um, we need, where it becomes useful is in the long-term decision-making process. Um, I'm always very cautious about whatever kinds of feedback I do give. Um, my first season with Texas A&M, I only spoke twice in reference to saying, hey, we might want to be mindful of this thing. And we had 55 units recording 55 players for every single session of every single day. And I only said things twice, mainly because I wanted the coaches to coach. I wanted them to trust me to realize that some 27-year-old with a PhD is not going to come in and try to tell them what to do because <laughs> that doesn't work. <laughs> um, and then the athletes also learned to trust me as well, that I wasn't going out and telling coaches behind their back that, hey, this person's going slow. You might want to you know, do something in a negative manner. Not that they ever did, but the athletes might perceive that to be the case. Um, so it really does become important for us to apply data in a, an appropriate but also cautious manner. Um, cause if we get too inundated with it, you know, it can cost people jobs. The first coach I ever worked for said, you know, at the end of the day, um, and this is before I had my PhD, she said, um, you're, so you're going to get your PhD and you're going to go get a job. Your decisions might cost me mine. So please just be aware of that. And it stuck with me from date from that point on, cause she's hundred percent correct. And so we really do need to have that degree of caution with the data and really take it with a grain of salt and realize that we're humans. Like no matter how much data we collect, end of the day, we're still missing a lot. Like there's a full day of stuff that we, we try to observe, but it's not necessarily, um, you know, we're not going to get it all. We're going to miss things. But I've I've done enough and seen enough in my time to that it, it has supported some proof. Um, it has worked. I've been able to help individuals that might not have gotten help um, because of how they filled out a questionnaire, because people like filling out questionnaires rather than talking to someone face to face. You know, it's the whole comment thing on that we have on the Internet, like hiding behind a screen. It does have a benefit when it comes to trying to get athletes to tell you the truth um, and any individual, to be perfectly honest. Uh, so it's, you know, it. it it can work. Um, it's not going to work every day and it's never going to be a hundred percent correct. But if you, if you uh, approach it with enough caution, it can be very useful and especially used in the planning process for long-term planning. So, you know, rather than just making near jerk reactions, we're saying, okay, this is what happened. How can we address that in the future? Um, that's really where its power comes in. Yeah. I think, uh, the simplest, um, way that this comes up is just a weight scale uh where how often people make may make major reactions based on it, the weight going up a little bit or how tied emotionally they are to what that scale says to them every 
day or every couple of days. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's so accurate. So accurate. I have many clients. We tell them like twice a week, that's all I need. And then we still get emails sometimes daily. Okay. Here's my last five days. It's like, well, okay. You're a human. Things are going to fluctuate. That's totally normal. Like this is why I only want two a week because I don't want you freaking out about it. Like it doesn't do you any good and it makes the process even that much harder. So my question is, you have uh, these examples in which you can be overly reactive. You can be potentially stepping in too soon and being um, quick to take the art of coaching out of it. But because a lot of uh, these trackers have shown positive research, what point do you actually step in and have, say, uh, a string of training sessions with low RPE ratings or perhaps RPE ratings that are uh, presenting some uh, uh, dissonance or disconnect with perhaps the heart rate readings? Mm-hmm. At which point do you step in to have that technology actually influence your plan? Because I would imagine that you have the greater plan and the technology helps you respond reactively, uh, if I'm not mistaken. I'm, I'm sure there are other reasons, but is that, would you say, like the biggest reason? And if so, again, how how do you know when to step in? Um, I think the, the technology allows us to, um, well, the, the time to step in can be based on two things. Um, one, you can use your own observations, so you're what you see in the data and then what you see just in communicating with the person, uh, with the athletes themselves and with the coaches. Um, a lot of what we do or what I've done is see the data and say, Hey, what do you think about this? You know, is something going on here? Oh yeah. So-and-so had, um, you know, the girlfriend or boyfriend broke up with them or the, they're having, you know, their grandmother just passed away or something along those lines. Oh, okay. That's good to know. Thank you. Then this all makes sense. And then you just like leave it at that. Say, okay, are they getting enough? Are they getting the appropriate help if they need it? Well, yeah, they seem to be good. His friends are seeing, are saying that, you know, they're okay. They're adapting well. Awesome. And they're, they're, nothing else is needed. Um, so that, that's one approach. And the, the second approach um, is using uh, statistics, um, super basic statistics, honestly, to um, determine if something called special cause variation has actually occurred, which is essentially it's like we are humans. Things ebb and flow day to day, not for, for almost just no reason. They just kind of do. Um, we need to be able to tease out what is meaningful and what is not. And so by taking, um, it's called statistical process control. And by taking just an average of just a normal week. So literally if you're using session RPE, take the average, like in Excel equals average, these five days of training volumes or these seven days of training volumes. Take that apply standard deviation, uh, one and a half standard deviations above, one and a half standard deviations below, and then just plot it across time. And that actually gives you um, a window of somewhere that you can literally see and say, okay, I can look at the ebb and the flow. I can see if things are going up and down. But if it's going up and down within that expected, just normal human variation, no, no intervention needed. But as soon as we start creeping out of that and either the below or above, depending on what's appropriate, um, then it might start to uh, grab our attention. So we might say that, oh, hey, their, their perceived training volume is um, 
a little bit higher than normal today. Um, what was practice like again? Oh yeah, it was actually a pretty easy day, wasn't it? Why is it so high? Uh, and then next day comes in. Oh, it's still pretty high. It was. They even took them out of some more drills, and it's still high. And then day three comes up, and it's even higher. And at that point, you're just like, something's happening. Now is the time to actually step in. Right. So rather than um, so we're using the statistics and our knowledge of the process and of the individual to support this kind of intervention strategy. And if it really comes down to that, like they're just freaking out about the technology and they're like, they just think that it's either influencing them in a negative way or, you know, anything along those lines, especially if they've been using it for a while, because typically nobody likes stuff right away, but after time they just kind of forget about it. But then you just pull it back and say, Hey, you know what? That's cool. I totally get it. You don't need it. I just want you to go train and train well, but that involves communication and um, with them, with their coach um, and just being present in a positive manner in their lives. And if you have that, you know, the data is just supporting and a lot of times that is just supporting what we see and it is making us more confident in the decision that we generally just want to make. I like, I like very much how you said, your discussions start with here's what the data says what do you think of this so that you're like you said not putting that coach out of a job mm -hmm. you're uh having good communication you're using the literature or sorry the literature you're using the uh science to facilitate these meaningful discussions that would be have otherwise but perhaps with not as much accuracy do you find that when you present the data to um, an individual, much like the questionnaire, that there brings out uh, a certain honesty to it, uh, or do, do the athletes ever feel like they've been caught, if that makes sense? Like, is there ever any guilt around a certain metric? If that, uh, I could see, for instance, if I'm just trying to like, go through the, the motions, but perhaps I'm dealing with some life stress, for instance. I just kind of want to show up and it's practice that is maybe the one thing in my day I'm looking forward to, but my markers are dropping. Uh, I guess that would just be part of the communication and rapport you develop with your coach. Um, but do athletes ever have uh, relationships with the data where they're not really looking for that? They're just looking for you as a support system? Um, you know, I've never necessarily... Uh experienced that directly but um in an indirect manner yeah i can remember one instance where an individual was showing uh, elevated resting heart rate over time um they were experiencing increased signs of helplessness which is actually one of my favorite questions because everybody's always like what's helplessness i was like oh don't worry about it you're gonna know whatever it happens it's, it's gonna be meaningful um and then uh what else was the, their sleep was deep um uh, showing some negative uh, downward trends. Um, overall well-being was just decreasing. And then I was always at practice. And seeing this individual practice, you could just tell that it just wasn't going their way. Um, and so I confronted the coach about it and said, you know, there, there's something, something's going on. What's what's up? Uh, come to find out that this individual's parents had um, were, were splitting up. And, you know, it's incredibly unfortunate, but it was influencing them. They're reaching out through the questionnaire without really knowing about it. Um, and so we were able to help, you know, provide to, to facilitate that, that, that 
communication, like, because the coach didn't know it right away. And so they were able to go out and actually seek out this information. And now they became the person to the, the, the athlete go to as a support mechanism. And so, yeah, it, it totally does happen. Um, there was another instance where an individual's father had passed away and nobody knew about it, but they put it in the questionnaire and literally said, I don't know why I'm putting this here, but here it is. And it became one of those things where it's like, Hey, talk, email to the staff. What's up is, you know, is anybody aware of this? No, we're not. We'll get somebody on it right away. And so we were able to provide that person with the assistance the appropriate assistance because it's like i'm not a psychologist i'm a i'm a facilitator like get the specialists right people where they need to be type of scenario um and so that's it, it totally does happen um absolutely does uh you just have to be it's it, it's not going to happen often uh I, I don't have many more scenarios beyond those two over the course of a number of years uh i do have more but it's just those two stand out um obviously and yeah it totally happens um it, injuries that nobody talks to uh, talks about uh go to athletic training okay hey, what about this person's you know knee or ankle i had no idea about that they haven't come to me oh well maybe we, we start that conversation maybe we start the conversation before anything bad happens um, maybe they're starting to show signs of sickness and it's flu season hey let's get you know elevated heart rate runny nose, sore throat, kind of feelings of high fatigue. Hey, let's get them in there before they're at like a five and this full-blown flu and now they're getting medication. Let's get them in early and do some preventive stuff. So it, do, it does um, it does show up. Um, actually, now that more I talk about it, the sickness and injury stuff happens quite often. Um, psychological stuff does, but it's just less frequently, but people can use it. So, you know, it's funny when I... Two things this reminds me of well, one point and then question is we have athletes who are on site with us in Asheville. We have uh, athletes who are all over the world. And sometimes I'll be working with my remote athletes morning, midday, and you're looking at their data tracking, which has a comment section. And it almost becomes just like a free, free flowing diary. Yeah. You kind of know exactly what headspace is at. And then I'll come in the afternoon, and like let's say if someone, uh, there's someone in France who's, I, I'm not seeing their session, but I'm like, man, I'm in their head. Like I know exactly what they're going through. And then I come in to coach on site, and I can tell that someone's maybe a little bit more reserved. They're not lifting as well, and maybe less apt to share with me just because of how like, with technology we're used to communicating. So it, it is interesting to see how powerful that is, and and really the honesty that you can tease out. Um, and then with that, my, my next question is, and this has been something that's very challenging, especially because we strictly do individualized coaching and programming. I'd be curious to know your take as a coach for RP, as well as any university type policy. Well, let's just say we get these questionnaires and on your questionnaire, you see something that you know is outside of your scope of practice. Their performances are dropping. What they're reporting might be, if not concerning, uh, just showing of potentially being detrimental to their overall well-being. Uh, what are some signs where you're like, okay, I'm either going to recommend that this person seek a different kind of professional help uh, or that I'm going to 
maybe try to play the coach here. I know that there's no uh, strict policy on that when you're working with people individually, but does the university have uh, rules and regulations for that? Um, not really what that I'm aware of. Um, the, the way I prefer to approach it is, it's, it's, it's a, like you said, it's a scope of practice issue. Um, you know, those scenarios that I had previously mentioned, um, obviously I'm never going to mention the names or anything, gender, anything along those lines, um, because their privacy is incredibly important to me. Um, but it's, it's something where when you when you recognize these things, um, you you have to know who you are. Um, even though I'm a, a coach for RP and uh, I do diet and training, I strictly get healthy individuals who do not have a metabolic disorder, and where my diet recommendations could kill them. Like I don't I don't want that person. Like I was sitting in a nutrition class when I was at the University of Memphis, and we were doing it was myself and three other colleagues, and we were doing very well. Um, and it was with uh, people that were going to become RDs and we were doing better than they were. And the professor literally just stopped the class and said, look, these people are out here because they're going to have an athlete come up to them and ask them about nutrition questions. You people could actually kill someone. It's like that. That's the degree that I approach um, this kind of stuff with. Like it, it, it is a serious matter. Um, and so I, I always approach it in that way. If you know, you have to be aware of, especially talking about nutrition of, Things like the female athlete triad, um, disordered eating. Um, be aware of those symptoms, and if you start to become suspicious, um, that's that's when hey, this is beyond me. Uh, this, you need to find help, male or female, it doesn't matter. Like we gotta go and get this person the kind of help that they're looking for, because um, that that's not what I can do. Like I'm not going to provide them the help that they need. Um, the same goes for psychological. Like it, you and I now. We have a few sports um, psychologists on staff. Um, now, are, they're not psychiatrists, but they are also people that can help if we are able to see like, hey, there might be some psychological things going on. I would go to them and say, what do you think? Is there anything that we can do or should do? And if there is something that we should do, which is probably find a specific professional, then we do that. Or no, I think we can actually, you know, help this individual out by doing this. Okay, perfect. I at least went to somebody who it's within their scope and then learned how it could be potentially applied, you know, based on the magnitude of potential concern. Um, so it really does kind of take a, a little bit of nuance to that. But if you're ever like, I, I don't know, um, potentially there's something dangerous to the individual's healthier. I always, I always resort to, Hey, let's, let's get the people that actually like have an education and certification, let's bring them in it's beyond us at this point. Um, so Jacob, what, what I want to ask now is maybe how someone really gets started with tracking their own uh, data. Should they start with one piece and make it consistent or should they pick something maybe let's say they're doing uh, a strength training and some endurance training, one for each. Uh, how, how would you really begin doing this on your own? You mentioned a couple uh, methods to do it, but yeah, just how would someone do it? some steps to begin. Oh, totally. I think the easiest way, you know, everybody's familiar with my, uh, at least knows Microsoft Excel exists. Um, I think the easiest way is to start doing session RPE. Just quite simple. End of the session. If you're taking a training diary, it doesn't matter. You know, write it down. Okay, this is how hard it was. This is how long it worked. You can open up Excel end of the day, end of the week. doesn't really matter. Um, and then you can have a column for the date 
column for your name. If it's just you, you know, you don't need to have the name. You can have a, a column for the moat, a column for the RPE, and then a column for the volume. And then just do a simple uh, one last column for tracking um, what's called the session RPE training load, where you just take the session RPE multiplied by the duration, and then that's it. And then just track in a vertical manner that data over time. And eventually you can start to develop uh, charts and graphics to actually see the ebb and the flow. Like that's honestly, that's the easiest way to do it. And what's also even better is that organizing it in that uh, manner in the column instead of date going across, date going up and down, uh, it allows you to add different metrics. And so let's say at some point, you know what, I'm gonna track resting heart rate. You just add resting heart rate to the next column over and then you just keep going. And it allows you to start really easy, session RPE. Go with that and then you know what? Because it's, it's a cause. Like at the end of the day, we're trying to measure a cause and effect. And so let's just measure the total volume. The effect can simply be like, how hard was the session? Maybe you have a column of just your simple notes. Uh, maybe you want to add some sort of um, notation system to quantify the effect, especially if it's something like in the weight room, like how, how heavy the bar felt, something along those lines. Um, and you can do that. And then you can start to see these relationships. Um, it even allows for adding in things like the um, volume landmarks, um, total distance running. I mean, you name it, you can go in that manner any way you want. And it's just a simple Excel way. But I always suggest session RPE first because it is so simple and free. Um, and the, its power is unreal. It's used throughout the world. Uh, tons of validated and reliable studies across multiple sports. People use it. Um, it's, it's worldwide and people trust it. So I think that that's a great place to, and an easy place to start tracking. So one thing that uh, I was reminded of our, our talk about tracking, when I was in school, one of my professors was, I don't know if you know, uh, Dr. Kevin Guskowitz, who uh, studied quite intensively uh, concussions and created a technology that athletes, specifically football players, would wear in their helmet that would give some form of feedback as to the force of the particular hit. Um, so, and concussions, that topic is quite an important one uh, of late, just given the literature that's come out. Are, are there other instances that stand out outside of concussion, maybe just for sport, or if you can think of others for people in general that uh, would be assisted by having a uh, RPE low type survey to go along with it? Because I could imagine that if someone had a concussion, you would definitely see the effects of those results, even if they didn't have the type of technology. This was at UNC Chapel Hill that we had there. It would just come up on questionnaire. Are, are there other types of examples for athletes that you can think of? Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, con obviously, concussion's a great one. Um, hmm. You know, you, you can get into things like um, sport specifics, um, maybe not necessarily from the RPE perspective, but um, uh, things like counts, um, throw counts, jump counts, those kinds of things. Um, 
that could be something, but then that requires somebody actually counting it, which is, you know, hard. Um, right. Cause this supposed, this stuff is supposed to be easy. Um, man, I actually can't think of anything. Um, that's good. Did you ever notice? Did you, did you ever notice any new research topic? Yeah. I did. Yeah. Well, well just one other, one other thing that I thought about potentially would be, um, just like, Things like climate or other types of training environments. Uh, uh, things like altitude or heat. For sure. Um, we've done uh, heat, humidity, altitude. Uh, absolutely does need to be uh, tracked. There's actually my favorite study of all time. Um, it's a, uh, the training characteristics of the world's best female cross-country skier. Um, it's absolutely incredible. Uh, but it's... A uh, part of what they describe is literally how long that they would train at altitude and what point of the year they would actually um, train uh, at it. So it totally becomes applicable. Um, so really, if we're looking at um, those kinds of things, you know, um, altitude is definitely one. Um, personally, another area that I kind of want to keep going into, but it's kind of tough because uh, you need actual data analysts is um, looking at the actual performance, like true performance outcomes. Um, did we win or not? <laughs> Literally, that's kind of the question, right? Um, and if we won, like how did these things kind of play in? And so the, when you get into that realm, then you're talking about, okay, was I home or away? What was the proximity of uh, matches? Um, like did we play two days ago? Did we play a week and a half ago? What was the ranking of the opponent? Um, uh, how hard did we lift in the weight room? Now, then we're starting to look at like a holistic model. Um, was there a weather involved? Um, is it finals week? <laughs> is it midterms? Um, you know, those kinds of things really are, you know, you can start putting a lot into it. And I think that's where people start to say like, if, if one is good, two is better. Um, it can be, but then you start, it starts to become cumbersome and then it starts to like become your job. Um, and nobody wants it. Well, I do, but, uh, nobody wants it to become their job if that's not really what they're interested in. And so keeping it as simple as possible and then making the observations first and then saying, Hey, you know what though? There was kind of, you know, I think there's something else there. Should we answer it? Can we formulate a question first? And then, yeah, I think we should answer this question if, like, altitude played a role. If, because, I mean, there's a soccer study where it was, I believe it was in Peru, like, they just won all the time because they're playing at altitude at home anyway. Um, so, yeah, that kind of stuff becomes meaningful. Um, but really, we have to, you know, once we get beyond the basics of the cause and simple effects, um, then you really have to start formulating the questions of what are we really trying to answer here? Um, or are we just collecting data to collect data? Because uh, I do think some people get caught up in that a little bit. You know, um, GPS technology seems to be used more often as a recruiting tool than an actual like athlete management tool, at least in what I've seen in the United States, not necessarily overseas um, and not even totally in the United States. But it's just my personal observations. And that's not exactly necessarily indicative of everybody, but um, sometimes it can be. Um, and so really... Um, we have to have that simplicity first and then get into the more complex once we've started to formulate the questions. So it sounds like your biggest message for people would be to stay aware of what's out there. Like if they want to spend money on a particular product to improve their performance, 
be aware of what's on the market, what perhaps within that uh, market is most, at least what the literature is showing, uh, reliable. And once you are aware of perhaps your goals and how much you want to commit to it, at least in terms of purchasing power uh, to add to your performance, you then want to perhaps have a little bit of regression and come back a little bit more simply to how you feel to your own reported uh, uh, questionnaires or, or data tracking so that you uh, expose yourself to the complex, but then try to keep it simple in your everyday training. I think that's a fantastic way to put it. And I think the emphasis does need to be on the goal. Um, and when I think of goals, I honestly think of uh, it's, it's a question. Like, what are we trying to answer? Well, my goal is to get stronger. Well, okay, so that's a question. How do I get stronger? And this is how we're going to apply it. Um, and so it really does come down to the question. And I think you said it best where you know, you realize, okay, this is what I have the capacity to do from a financial standpoint. Um, time as well is a big thing. Um, sometimes technology can help with that. Um, but so this is kind of where I want to be, but let's just make sure that, you know, I, I'm answering something first that I'm comfortable with the process. And then from there, now let's start going into the uh, purchasing of technology. And it's, it's like we see in supplements. It's like we see everywhere. You know, people see something shiny and they want to buy it because it's automatically going to help them right away. Whereas they tend to um, forego the why. Why am I buying it? <laughs> well, it's going to help me. That's not a why. <laughs> that, that's something that you think. That's something that they're telling you it's going to do. Like, really, why is this thing going to help you? What is it going to add to your life, to your training stop lifestyle? And then from there, you can start to really get going. And I think something you said actually before we went live was and we actually just mentioned this in our latest podcast uh, our, our, our guest was saying how no coach should ever assume that their athlete has mastered the basics and the back squat and you, you echoed that same thing before we went uh, live and you said that we really tend to see a lot of people lacking a proper foundation so it seems that before you're even aware of the budget, and before you're aware of the technology out there, like you just mentioned, supplements, you can't out uh, supplement a shitty diet. It seems like you can't out buy a, a shitty foundation of, of training and program. Right. Yeah. No, that's that's spot on. Um, I'm happy you mentioned that because it really does come down to that. Like, let's get the basics first. Um, some pe and it comes, it does come down to education. Sometime this tech can provide the education necessary. Um, example is when I was at uh, A&M, um, we had a receiver that was doing some extra work at the end of practice. And it was obscene amount of high-speed running, so any, a lot, volume over 11 miles an hour, um, more so than that individual had accumulated the entire practice. Um, and so I just spoke with the staff, was like, hey, this happened. Can I talk to them? Absolutely. Go ahead. Um, I said, dude, look what you did. I just showed him a graph. It's like, oh, wow, I did all that. Okay, I get it. That was it. Like, there was no more problem. So it can serve as, as an educational point, um, but I do think it needs to be a scenario where, okay, let's address these basic needs first. And if it's just like you're just like butting your head against the wall, 
the tech might help. But you're right, 100% correct. We have to get the basics right before we start searching for the magic bullet. Yeah. And this is, I think it's, um, it's Greg Knuckles, the name of his business is Be Stronger by Science. Mm-hmm. Because when you, when you have this education, your, your hands aren't in anyone's pockets. You're not defending any one methodology over another. You're just educated on a host of these areas that can improve performance, mix that with a little bit of art of coaching. And I think uh, you're well on your way to either being a more uh, self-actualizing athlete uh, or a better coach. 100%. Um, are, are there any other things that before we, because we want to be respectful of your time, that uh, you kind of want the audience to walk away with, or do you feel like you're able to convey your, your message pretty clearly? I, I've, you know, I've learned a, a tremendous amount in a short time. Oh, no, I appreciate that. Um, honestly, <laughs> I tend to be the type that once I start talking about this stuff, I just go. Um, so I, I do sincerely appreciate this time. And I think that um, the more I talk about it, I, I might start to convolute things. Um, but uh, I think it's, you know, this this is the kind of stuff that um, people people need. You know, the product that you're bringing out with this podcast is it's fantastic. Um it's very educational to the listener and I do, I sincerely appreciate it. Um, so I can't honestly think of anything, um, additional, extra I want to say, you know, I, oh yeah, I'm on Instagram. Uh, barely, but I barely on there, but I am on there. Um, I don't say anything. I don't post anything. Um, I generally just tend to like RP stuff. And then if my clients tag me, I, I tend to like their things as well, but that's about it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't say much. Um, and so if people really are interested in what, um, they want to have a conversation, they're welcome to reach out to me. Um, you know, my, um, professional email is um oh it's uh, i'm a professor at the university of northern iowa it's jacob.reed at uni.edu like i'd rather have that kind of conversation um than necessarily a social media one so i, I welcome it um from anybody like uh, i'm happy to answer questions as long as long as my time can uh, permit okay and um do you have a do you even know uh, what your handle is on, on instagram in case uh, yeah you, it is it's, it's um RP Dr. Reed. Uh, I stole James's RP Dr. handle because um, uh, I know he takes credit for that and I, I do appreciate it. But I, yep, that's that's what I am. <laughs> hey, yeah, there you are here. Um, well, thank you again. Thank you um, uh, so much. Uh, maybe once you've felt like you've done the, the thorough vetting of, of research and you have a little bit more time on, on social media, people actually have that handle in the future. But for now, uh, it sounds like you're doing plenty of good work and hopefully we'll have you on again to discuss any updates or any other thoughts. Oh, absolutely. I appreciate it. Thank you.